Thank you so much. Good morning. It's great being here. It's great sharing God's word with you. I've been having a ball. There's only less than 20 of us in the building here today and I've been hiding over in a little corner down the back and because no one can see me and uh, no one's saying, oh, look what the pastor's doing. I've just been worshipping and praising God with, a, with an abandon and it's kind of neat. It's kind of, so I, I pray uh, along with everyone else that at home you're able also to have a sense of that same abandon, abandonment, uh, not, not abandonment as in you're alone, but abandonment as in surrender. And as we look at Psalm 46 today, triumphant psalm, uh, I've, I've labelled this message triumphant living in turbulent times. And I've got to tell you, something's funny's happened again because uh, Kynan rang me a while ago and he said, well, Pete, you know, I, I often ring just to say good day and to check because we've got, uh, we've got um, you know, common hearts. And he said, but, but I do want you to share a word. And he said, we've got a series at Hope Valley called Summer in the Psalms. And I said, well, of course you do. He goes, what, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm having a summer in the Psalms. It was probably at the end of November, I decided to read a Psalm every single day. And so I've just been reading a Psalm a day. And so it really didn't surprise me at all when Kynan asked me to preach on the Psalms. And this one from Psalm 46, it's, it's so, so peculiarly special, so particularly special, because it does speak right into the world in which we live today. In fact, it always has. Coming out of the dark ages when Martin Luther, a once Catholic monk, rediscovered the message of, uh, that we're saved by grace through faith, Psalm 46 became one of his favourite psalms. Uh, and I say one of them because he, he's the one who taught me and many others to pray the psalms. Uh, it became one of his favourite psalms and, and, he, and he wrote his most famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, around Psalm 46 because in a, in a political world and a spiritual world that was being turned upside down, he wanted to know that God was steadfast, that God was true, that God was unmovable, that God was reliable, that God was constant, that God was always faithful, that God was never going to desert us. And he discovered that in Psalm 46. And so as we look at triumphant living in turbulent times, that, that's my first point. And it's the first point that comes out of Psalm 46, no and celebrate and rejoice and relax in the news that God is with you. God is with us. That's the message that comes through loud and clear here. Verse one, God is a very present help in trouble. You know, sometimes when we get in trouble, we think God is distant, that he's, uh, he's distanced himself from us. And Psalm 46 says, God, you are a very present help in trouble. In verse five, it says, God is in the midst of her. In verse seven, it says, the Lord of hosts is with us. Repeating that refrain in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. That means that the Lord who commands all the angelic hosts of heaven, he is with you. He's in your finances. He's in your sickness. He's in your marriage. He's in your parenting. He's in your job hunting. He's in your singleness. He's in your frustration. He's in your your times of anger. He's in your times of misunderstanding. He's in your times of, you know, parenting when you, you don't think you've got a moment to yourself. When you can't think about God, He's thinking about you. When you can't focus on Him, He's focused on you. Do you know after 9-11, churches put out liturgies around the world to, to pray. Psalm 46 was the psalm they chose. At the beginning of uh, 
2020, when COVID was going throughout the world, Psalm 46 was the Psalm that they put into liturgies. It's a reminder in turbulent times, whether globally or in your own small community or in your own heart, that whatever turbulent times you're going through, whatever troubled times you're going through, God hasn't left you to your own devices. You know, that's the message of the new covenant. The old covenant, they often had a visitational view of God. You know, they would, they would gather at the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, that there would be a cloud that would come down and show that God is in the house and Aaron and the other priests would do their thing and then the cloud would lift or the Shekinah, the, 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 the glory of God, which was there in the cloud would, would lift and, and the people would go back to their tents. God was there, He spoke, God's removed, we go home. That's not the new covenant. The new covenant comes and says in John chapter one, that the Word was God and the Word was with God, the Word being Jesus, the, the Word that was spoken into being and the Word that now speaks into our hearts and lives. The Word has become flesh, John 1 verse 14, and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. That word dwelt is the same word that's used in the Old Testament for tabernacle. God comes and tabernacles among us. He's not just there on your good days and off you on your bad days. He's not your God and your father when life's going well and he runs away from you when you sin. No, in the turbulent times, God remains faithful and constant. That's my favourite bit of the parable of the loving father or the parable of the prodigal son, that when the son comes home reeking of his own sin and reeking of the pig swill, the father administers gifts. A fatted calf for a barbecue, shoes to say you've got the run of the house again, a ring for his finger and a, 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 a beautiful garment to wear, the robe of righteousness. And so in the midst of whatever you're going through, I want you to know this. God is God because He's constant. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, which are the characteristics of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. He is your faithful God and He's with you in these troubled times. That's what Psalm 46 is telling us. Secondly, amongst the many, many things Psalm 46 is saying, Psalm 46 is saying, you are an overcomer in Him. Do you know in, in my old hymnal, and, and I do have an old hymnal, there's, uh, there's different sections about Jesus. Jesus the Redeemer, and then, then there's a, a section about Jesus the Victor, the victorious one, and then there's a section about the church. And in the church, one of the headings is the church militant and the church triumphant. And uh, I remember when I used to pick hymns uh, back in the day, uh, one dear intentioned person came and he said, I've noticed, Peter, that you often, more often than not, you, you pick the hymns from the church triumphant section. What about picking hymns from the church militant section? And I said, well, I suppose I've shown my bias. And he said, what is your bias? And I said, my bias is that, Jesus is victorious. <laughs> well, he didn't really have an answer to that. I love the fact that Jesus is triumphant. Yes, we're called to fight, but as one of the songs that we sang this morning uh, expressed that he actually fights for us. He fights on our behalf. As Christians, we never fight for victory. We always fight from victory. A person I love to listen to, uh, Graham Cook, got accused one day of being a triumphalist. 
And he said, guilty as charged. And the person said back to him, well, what do you mean? You know, you're taking away the cross. You're taking away the suffering. He says, no, 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 no. He says, there can be no crucifix, no resurrection without crucifixion. He said, I am rock solid with St. Paul that we're crucified with Christ. And my, myself, my ego is crucified with Christ. But he said, I'm, I'm definitely on the side of resurrection and ascension. And that means triumph. And then he said to this guy, he said, what's the opposite of being a, triumphant, a triumphantalist? He said, wouldn't it be being a defeatist? And so he repeated again, guilty as charged. Listen to the language of Psalm 46. Remember, we're talking about being an overcomer in him. Therefore, we will not fear. Isn't that a message for today? Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Go to uh, weatherwatch.co.nz or weatherwatch.nz.co and have a look at the, the images of the um, eruption off Tonga. If you wanna see the, the waters foaming and, and the, the sea and the mountains colliding together. But we don't fear because of these things. Why? Verse five, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Verse six, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Because God is triumphant, we are triumphant. You've heard it from me before. I am in Christ, Christ is in me, Christ died as me, Christ now lives through me. I mentioned 9-11 before and you may have heard this story from me. I can't remember what I've shared and what I haven't, but after 9-11 happened, uh, I woke up that morning and it was a Friday morning when I woke up and, and saw what had happened and it was school chapel that day at the church I was pastoring at the time. We had about 400 kids in the auditorium and so many parents came out because there was a fear going around. What's gonna happen? Is, is, is World War III going to break out? What's, what's the response of, uh, of governments going to be to this? We didn't know what was going to happen. And my wife came up after the chapel and, and gave me a, a kiss on the cheek and said, well, I'm off home now. And, and she was anxious and fearful for her kids. And about three or four hours later, I, I went home for lunch and I walked in and she comes skipping up and gives me another kiss and, and uh, smiles and laughs and says, oh, hi, honey, welcome home. I've made you lunch. I knew something was wrong because she never makes me lunch. And I said, what happened to the fearful lady um, about three hours ago? And she said, oh, Revelation. I said, oh, you had a revelation. She said, no, 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 I read Revelation. I read the Revelation to John, the last book in the Bible. And cautiously, I said, and? She said, and we've won. She said, I've read the ending. <laughs> we are victorious. We've won and in Jesus, we've won. And so uh, a couple of months ago, probably in a three-week period, I had five people ring me. Three of them were asking me if I'd been vaccinated or not. And two of them went on from that conversation and asked me what I thought about the current times and whether the pandemic and our response to it is going to uh, you know, bring on the mark of the beast. And I asked these people, why are you so fixated about the mark of the beast? And why is this troubling you so much? And anyway, they gave me their response. And so after sharing with them, I said, let, let me just say this, that you're focusing on the bit players 
in the Revelation to John. Sure, it talks about the beast. Sure, it talks about the dragon. Sure, it talks about foes and oppression. But they are small time players. They're not the star of the show. The star of the show is Jesus. The lamb who was slain has begun his reign. He is triumphant. He rules and he reigns. He's the king of heaven and earth. He's conquered everything. He's placed everything under his feet. And then I said to them, let's just say, Let's just, let's just say, hypothesise, please hear that clearly. Let's just say for a moment that this is the mark of the beast. And by the way, every generation of humans has found the beast in their own times. Let's just say it is the mark of the beast. It makes no difference to me because I've read the end of the book. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. Christ has died through me. Christ now lives as me. Christ now lives through me. A friend came to see me one day. Uh, I'd had this particular um, issue in my life, uh, a personal issue, dealing a little bit with anxiety uh, and, and some negative thought processes that came with the anxiety. And every time I'd prayed about this anxiety and surrendered it to, uh, to God, my friend's name, Michael, came to mind. And then I was having dinner with my wife one night at uh, the Stanley Bridge Tavern. And uh, Julie was saying to me, you, you know, whatever issues we've got, Jesus already has an answer for them. Michael, Michael's name came to my mind. Ah, he's the provision for God for this issue I'm having. The next morning I woke up at four o'clock and I was full of anxiety and fear and my thought process was going negatively again and uh, to places I didn't want it to go. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, ring Michael. Well, I went back to sleep. And when I woke up around 6.30, I thought, nah, I'm not going to ring Michael. It's, it's, I don't want to tell him this stuff. Anyway, I looked at my phone, which was on my bedside table on silent. Missed call, Michael Dutchke. Moist ve uh, voice to text message. Peter, let's catch up today. I'll be at your place at nine o'clock. Okay, Holy Spirit, you've got me. Anyway, Michael comes around. We talk for an hour and a half about a conference we're planning. I'm thinking, hurry up and get him out of here, God, so that I can avoid having to tell him. He slides his cup across the table at me and says, I'll have another coffee. And that's when I knew I had to share. And so I shared with him. I shared deeply. I shared richly. I shared vulnerably. I shared transparently from my heart. And I'll never forget his words back to me. He said, Peter, you are an overcomer. You may not have overcome everything, but you are an overcomer. They were the sweetest words. He didn't say, oh, Peter, you write books and you're a preacher and you've got these thoughts. Oh, dear, oh, dear. He didn't say, well, this is a big issue. I wonder how we'll cope with this. He didn't say, oh, Peter, I feel let down. I've always looked up to you. He said, you are an overcomer. So I'm looking into this camera, but it's the Holy Spirit looking into your heart and he's saying to every single one of you, you know that issue really, really deep down, so deep you haven't told your spouse, you haven't told your best friend. He's saying in that area, you're not hopeless. You're not, you're not the mayor of struggle town. He's saying you are an overcomer. That's what Psalm 46 is saying. That's what triumphant living is all about. It's about living in the triumph of Jesus. That's what Romans 8 verse 37 says. It says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. I just want you to repeat that wherever you are, repeat that phrase after me, more than conquerors, more than conquerors. Not just a conqueror, not just victorious, not just an overcomer, not just triumphant, but more than triumphant, uber triumphant, super triumphant. Why? Because I'm in Christ, Christ is in me, Christ died as me, Christ lives through me. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so thirdly and finally, triumphant living comes in rest and stillness. It comes in rest and stillness. Stillness is the practice that gives us the mindset of one who is more than a conqueror. Stillness is the practice of the person who knows that God is with us even when we don't feel it. And so it says in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. It's an interesting word. It can mean to stop fighting. Not stop fighting as in stop having a punch up with your next door neighbour, but stop fighting God. Cease and desist. Stop fighting God with the feelings of shame and guilt. Stop bringing up your history to God who has already dealt with your history. Uh, It also means to refrain, to let alone, to do nothing. You see, that's so countercultural for us, isn't it? To do nothing. But doing nothing isn't actually doing nothing. It's saying, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I bring. Naked come to you for dress, as the old hymn Rock of Ages says. And so I look to you, Father. Being still is knowing that God has provided already in the person of Jesus Christ, that God indwells me through the Holy Spirit and that my triumphant living is caught up in that. You know, uh, we just sang that song, Um, He split the sea so we could walk right through it. That's talking about the exodus of the nation of Israel out of Egypt from slavery into uh, freedom via the wilderness. And there's a verse in, uh, in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, and it says this, when they, they've left Egypt and they come up against the Red Sea and it says, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Or Exodus 14, 14 in the NIV says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So be still. Stop, rest, think, meditate. Use the car time. Use the toilet time if you have to. Uh, Pave out just some minutes each day to be still, not just to read the Bible, not just to pray, but just to be still, to breathe in deep and to say, Father, I thank you that in the midst of what I'm experiencing, you are with me. You are my God. There's a lot going around that I don't understand. There's a lot happening that I don't like. But I declare the truth of Psalm 46, that you haven't deserted me, that you are my refuge and strength, that you are a very present help in trouble, that you are with me, that even though the waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble, that there is a city, a river whose streams make glad the city of God, that your habitation is among me. Finally, do you know the New Testament passage that most correlates with Psalm 46 is Mark 4, when Jesus calms the storm. And do you know what it says there in, in, Mark, in Mark 4? You know, the, the disciples are worried 
because the windstorm arose and the waves are breaking into the boat and the boat's already filling and Jesus is in the stern and he's asleep on the cushion. I love that. Jesus sleeps while the storm rages because he knows his identity as a son of the father and he knows that no father is going to let his son suffer more than he can bear. But Jesus just doesn't resign himself to the fact that God is sovereign. He doesn't just have a sovereign worldview. Jesus has a warfare worldview, which is why we can look at the theme triumphant. And so Jesus rests in God's sovereignty in the boat, but then he takes up his warfare arm And with the authority he has as a son, he speaks to the wind and the waves, but when he speaks to them, he says, be still. And at the authoritative word of Jesus, they are silenced. And so he says to the turbulent things in your life and mine, he says, be still. And so you can take authority over the negative voices. You can take authority over that naysaying, nagging, negative vow in the back of your mind, you're no good. It's always going to be like this. You're going to do it again. You'll never get out of the situation. God loves other people more than you. You can say to that, be still. In the name of Jesus Christ, as his daughter, as his son, I say to you negative thoughts, be still. And then think about those thoughts no more. Then go to the positive and go, God, you are my refuge. You are my strength. You're my help in trouble. And I'm still before you. And I know that you are God. Father, we thank you that as a sovereign God, in the stillness and in the quietness, you enable us to engage in warfare, not in order to gain victory, but because we are already victorious. And so we claim your victory, King Jesus, in the struggle that we have against sin and death and the power of the devil. We affirm the truth that we are already triumphant over these things, but we also declare the truth that we are not sinners struggling to be saints, but we are triumphant saints using all the resources of heaven in our struggle against sin. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us, that you are inside of us. And we declare right now, I am in you, Jesus. Jesus, you are in me. Thank you, Jesus, that you have died as me. And Jesus, I rejoice in the triumphant message that you now live through me. Amen.